Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. This is the way it is when it comes to the Middle East. And this is what we who believe in Bible prophecy have to be aware of and therefore careful about. We have to be aware that things change all the time there. And the mistake that sometimes Christians make is, you know, something happens and then immediately we say, oh, well, that's this. This is a fulfillment. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian resumes his teaching on Isaiah chapters 13 through 23. Now here's Pastor Brian. A spiritual being who has fallen from the heavens, who at one time had a position in heaven, but has fallen from the heavens. And then it goes on, you destroyer of nations, you have been cut down to the ground. And so here's the here, here's the, the process through which all of this happened. You said to yourself, I will ascend to the heavens. I will set up my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the God's assembly in the remotest parts of the north. I will ascend above the highest clouds. I will make myself like the most high. So this is the description of how this being that we call Satan, this is how he came to be. So before, and Ezekiel goes into more detail about his previous position, before he is, actually Ezekiel says that he is God's highest creature. He's the the sum of wisdom. He's perfect in beauty. There's no other creation like him, Ezekiel tells us. And so what Isaiah is describing here is this time in the past, and Jesus mentions it in Luke, I saw Satan fall from heaven as lightning, but this time in the past where he tries to usurp God's authority and place himself on the throne of God. So this is the coup that happened in heaven through this being. And so now it goes on and it says, so your plan was to be exalted and be like the most high, but you will be brought down to Sheol into the deepest regions of the pit. Now, verse 16, those who see you will stare at you. They will look closely at you Is this the man who caused the earth to tremble and shook the kingdoms, who turned the world into a wilderness, who destroyed its cities, who would not release the prisoners to return home? All the kings of the nations lie in splendor, each in his own tomb, but you are thrown out without a grave, like a worthless branch covered by those slain with a sword and dumped in a rocky pit like a trampled corpse. So notice, so we actually have three people here. We have the king of Babylon that would 
come to power in 100 years. We have the power behind the king, who is the devil. And then we have this one who is visibly judged by all the world, who caused the world to shake and is now cast down and disgraced. This is the Antichrist. So that's what I'm talking about. You've got these different things happening in these prophecies. And so the Antichrist, of course, will be the visible human manifestation of this same power that was originally behind the king of Babylon when Isaiah wrote. And the judgment that will come upon the Antichrist is the one that's being referred to here because it's clear that the person now being judged is a human being. And it's clear that the the original king of Babylon did not do the kinds of things that this person did. As a matter of fact, you couldn't say, when you look at the judgment that's going to come on this person that's described here, that didn't happen to any of the Babylonian kings. It didn't happen to Nebuchadnezzar. Although Nebuchadnezzar conquered Jerusalem, although Nebuchadnezzar was fierce and brutal, remember, Nebuchadnezzar had a conversion. And he wrote his story down. He wrote his testimony, and it's included in the book of Daniel. And then Nebuchadnezzar's grandson who was in power at the time that the Medes and the Persians conquered Babylon, we know his name. His name was Belshazzar. And we know that he didn't shake kingdoms and he didn't do all kinds of destructive things in the earth. And he didn't die this ignominious death either. He was slain in the palace of Babylon the night that the, the Medes and the Persians came in. So this, this is a, like I said, it's like a threefold prophecy Uh, looking at the current monarchy of Babylon, looking at the power behind it, who is Satan, and then looking to the future at the power behind the person that we commonly call the Antichrist, or the beast is what the Bible refers to him as. And so you will not join them in burial. So the kings of the earth are all buried, you know, they have, have a noble burial, but not so with you because you destroyed your land, slaughtered your own people. The offspring of evildoers will never be mentioned again. Prepare a place of slaughter for his sons because of the iniquity of their fathers. They will never rise up to possess a land and fill the surface of the earth with cities. And so that is the promised destruction that will come upon Babylon. It came partially, and there's yet a a distant fulfillment that is yet to come. Now, jumping down to verse 24, we move from Babylon now to Assyria. And remember, at the time now that we're reading this, or at the time that this is written, Assyria is the power. And so now God says, I will break Assyria in my land. I will tread him down on my mountain. Now, When we get to chapter 39 of Isaiah, we're going to see the fulfillment of this prophecy right here. God breaks the power of Assyria in Israel. That's how how Assyria is, is pretty much defeated. God destroys a large amount of their military, and then their king Sennacherib is shortly after that. He's murdered by his own sons, 
And then the spiral begins for Assyria. But we'll read about that when we get there. So we move from the judgment pronounced on Assyria to now a pronouncement of judgment against Philistia. And so in verse 28, in the year that King Ahaz died, this pronouncement came. So remember the kings, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz. Ahaz was the really wicked king that we talked about last time. And now the the other king during the reign of Isaiah is going to be Hezekiah. And so this is now entering into the reign of Hezekiah because Ahaz died in this year. And so there's a pronouncement of judgment upon Philistia. Philistia is the land of the Philistines, which would be the southern coastal area of Israel. So like, for example, the Gaza Strip, that whole area we hear about Gaza on the news today, that was Philistine country. Ashdod, which is now an Israeli port, that was a Philistine city as well. So there's going to be a judgment that will come upon Philistia, and which did come. Then from there, chapter 15 is a pronouncement concerning Moab. Now Moab, if you were to go to the city of Jericho, or if you were to stand on the Mount of Olives on a clear day and look to the east, you could see on a clear day, you can see into what is today Jordan. And what is today Jordan used to be Ammon, Moab, and Edom. So those three nations made up what we know today as Jordan. So when we're talking about Moab, we're talking about that region directly east of Judah. Judah would have been the, you know, the geographical location where Jerusalem is and Bethlehem and those places. So directly east there, just on the other side of the Dead Sea, that would be Moab. And so the judgment is going to come upon Moab. Ar and Moab is devastated, destroyed in a night. Kerr and Moab is devastated, destroyed in a night. Dibon went to its temple, up to its temple to weep in the high places. Moab wails on Nebo at Medibah, and every head is shaved. And so um, these places, actually, a few years ago, we went to Mount Nebo. You can go to Mount Nebo, and uh, you can stand on Mount Nebo today, and you can look across uh, at across the Jordan and across the, the, you're at the northern tip of the Dead Sea, And you can see the land uh, from the uh, viewpoint of Moses. That's where Moses viewed the land. And then some of these cities that are mentioned here, Medibah is a city, is a a part of um, what is modern-day Amman in Jordan. And so this is the judgment that would come upon those lands. But now remember, these lands are all still living in in relative disapproval of uh, Israel. And even though there's some negotiating going on, there's some talks about we should try to get along with our Israeli neighbors and and all of that, you know, which is, it's good. Uh, But that, that will not last because all of these surrounding countries, although they've been through various judgments, they will be the ones that will all be part of the, the final judgment when God brings that about. So the 15th chapter, 
and the 16th chapter largely deal with Moab. But let's jump over to chapter 16, and I want to pick up in... I'll pick up in verse three. Give us counsel and make a decision. Shelter us at noonday with shade that is as dark as night. Hide the refugees. Do not betray the one who flees. Let my refugees stay with you. Be a refuge for Moab from the aggressor. When the oppressor has gone, destruction has ended and marauders have vanished from the land. Here's a prophecy. A throne will be established in love. And one will sit on it faithfully in the tent of David, judging and pursuing what is right, quick to execute judgment. So in the middle of this prophecy about the judgment that's going to come up on Moab, suddenly there's a prophecy of a throne that's established in love, set up in the tent of David. So suddenly there's a messianic prophecy in the middle of this. And as we're going to see in just a moment, God has a plan for these surrounding nations. And, and you know, it's interesting when you think about it, when you, when you study the Bible, when, if, you know, if we, we did start in Genesis, it's been a while ago, <laughs> but, uh, you know, if you go back to Genesis and you start and you're reading through these lands, like Moab, for example, Remember, the Moabites and the Ammonites were the descendants of Lot, the nephew of Abraham. So there's, there's all this relational stuff that's, that's happens here. There's all of this connection back to the patriarchs and things. So what we're going to see here in a moment is that God has a plan in the future to include these nations, to bring these people into a relationship with himself. Now, the, the rest of chapter 16 is just continuing on with the prophecy about the judgment of Moab. And then we come to chapter 17, and now we have a pronouncement against Damascus. Now, a pronouncement concerning Damascus. Look, Damascus is no longer a city. It has become a ruined heap. The cities of Aror are abandoned. Uh, they will be places for flocks. They will lie down without fear. The fortress disappears from Ephraim and a kingdom from Damascus. The remnant of Aram will be like the splendor of the Israelites. This is a declaration of the Lord of armies. So again, you have two things going on here because remember Damascus and Ephraim had a covenant with each other. That was the one we read about last week where Ahaz is fearful because these two powers have come up against Judah and God says, don't worry about it. You know, within 65 years, this whole thing's going to be completely over. And within just a few years, they're going to break their allegiance with each other. So it's referring to that time there. But then it also goes out. And the amazing thing, notice the remnant of Aram, which would be the peoples of Damascus in that region, will be like the splendor of the Israelites. So God's going to do a work among these people. Now, Damascus is an interesting case in point. You know, they say that Damascus is the oldest city in the world. I don't know if you know that or not. It's the oldest continuous city in the world. Remember, back in the time of Abraham, Abraham had a servant named Eliezer. Eliezer was from Damascus. 
And so you have references to Damascus all the way back. And, you know, you might think Jerusalem was probably, you know, a close competitor with that, and it might very well be. But so they say Damascus is the oldest city in the world. So from the time of Abraham till today, Damascus has always existed as some form of a city. But here is a prophecy that Damascus will one day be judged. But then there's also the promise that God's going to turn the splendor of Aram like the children of Israel. So it doesn't seem that it's going to be a permanent destruction. And, and the reason I bring that up is because some, some look at this particular passage and, and they think, well, you know, the stuff that's going on in Syria these days, and Damascus, of course, is the big city there in Syria. Uh, whenever there's conflict with the Israelis and the Syrians or whenever the Russians are doing something pertaining to Syria, people will talk about, well, Damascus is going to be destroyed. Isaiah 17 is going to be fulfilled. And, you know, that might be possible, but it might have been a reference to the past. And it might even be a reference perhaps to the time when the Antichrist comes. So some of these things we just don't know. And to make a, a dogmatic statement about it is just not, I, I don't think it's the wisest way to approach it. it. It's interesting, but we don't really know what's going to happen. So chapter 17, as we go on here, it's talking about the judgment that's coming upon but then it says this in verse 7, On that day, people will look to their maker and will turn their eyes to the Holy One of Israel. So as I said, some of these judgments, I think, are future. And it's the time when the Antichrist is in power, but it's also the time when people will look to the Lord. And so... It says here, in that day, people will look to the Lord. Then, as we go over to chapter 18, we have now a, a message concerning Cush. Woe to the land of buzzing insect wings beyond the rivers of Cush, which sends envoys by sea in reed vessels over the waters. Go swift messengers to a nation tall and smooth-skinned to a people feared far and near, a powerful nation with a strange language whose land is divided by rivers. Now, the land of Cush is also sometimes referred to as Ethiopia. And the problem for us today is the Ethiopia of Bible times is not the Ethiopia of today. So this area that's being talked about here is probably what used to be called Nubia. And Nubia is a southern, uh, southeastern part of Egypt and the northeastern part of what we know today as Sudan. And so northern Sudan would be probably more the area that, that's being referred to. Here And notice the description of the people. They're smooth-skinned and they're tall. Um, the Sudanese are tall. <laughs> and they very smooth skin still to this day. And so I think that 
if we want to identify the place geographically, that's uh, the area that we're talking about here. Now, in the prophecy of Ezekiel, where it talks about the different nations that are going to be aligned together and they're going to come against Israel, Persia is in there. And interestingly, Ethiopia is in there as well. And that would be Sudan. But an interesting thing that's happening in northern Sudan right now, northern Sudan has been uh, under Islamic rule for centuries and a pretty hard Islamic rule. And yet, as of the past couple of years, there's been a revolution that's taken place and they've pretty much removed the hard core Islamic government and they basically want to have more of a secular government. They want to just have a government where they can, you know, build their lives. People can be religious, but they don't have to be religious. And if you want to be a, a Christian or a Jew or something else, you're not going to be persecuted for it. And I was talking with a, a friend from uh, Sudan the other day, and he was telling me that it's really amazing what has happened there in recent times. And, you know, they've even said, like, we don't want to be against Israel. We don't want to be all caught up in this Islamic worldview. We, we, we want to just live our lives and do our best to enjoy ourselves while we can. So the interesting things happening in the whole area of the Middle East today. And so, you know, it, this is the way it is when it comes to the Middle East. And this is what we who believe in Bible prophecy have to be aware of and therefore careful about. We have to be aware that things change all the time there. And the mistake that sometimes Christians make is, you know, something happens and then immediately we say, oh, well, that's this. This is a fulfillment right here in the Bible. It says this and, and look at that's happening right there. That's what that's about. But then a few years later, it's completely different. It all changed. So then you're back to the drawing board going, wait, what is, wait a second. I thought that was going to be this. So, so it's wiser, I think, to recognize that absolutely there's Bible prophecy and some things we can know a fair amount of detail about because God gives it to us. But other things we just, we don't know. We don't know exactly how all of this is going to roll out. I mean, at one time we were absolutely convinced that Gog and Magog, Russia, and Russia was going to attack Israel and all of that because of the Soviet Union. We knew that. We preached that. And then the Soviet Union, it melted down, went out of existence. But then in its place, all these Islamic countries came back into a position of prominence. Islam was on the decline. In the early part of the 20th century, there were predictions that Islam would, would just cease to be a religion. It, would, it was going to just die. But it didn't. It, it revived. And suddenly, people were thinking, oh, wait a second. Wait, we thought it was the Russians. Maybe it's the, these Islamic nations, this confederation here. And we thought the Antichrist was going to come out of Europe. Oh, maybe he's going to be a Muslim. So these are the things that people, you know, start to speculate about because they've been speculating about other things. And so all of that to say, we need to be careful.
the month of July, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, Is Jesus History? by Dr. John Dixon. How do we know that Jesus was in fact a historical person? Can we really know anything about ancient history with certainty? In his book, Is Jesus History? Historian John Dixon answers those very questions. He presents the evidence for the historical existence of Jesus in a clear manner, so the reader can make their own conclusions based upon the evidence. Dr. John Dixon addresses the conclusions of mainstream scholars, both Christian and non-Christian. He also examines the contemporary significance of Jesus' claims if someone concludes that he did in fact exist. If you want to know about the historical evidence for the existence of Jesus, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. To order is Jesus History by Dr. John Dixon. And when you give the gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Isaiah. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.